God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is Will Rice, and First Light is a brief Bible challenge encouraging you to read God's Word, to think about God's Word, and to live it in real life. Ephraim was the son of Joseph and a tribe in Israel. Ephraim seems to never have been happy. You, you never see Ephraim smile when you find stories about Ephraim throughout the Bible. And sometimes, you know, when I'm reading the Bible, um, I notice something and I think to myself, oh, this is a thing. And sometimes I know that something is a thing when I'm not even quite sure what that thing is. Now, someone listening will, will probably know the answer to that question. Suffice it to say, when I read Judges 12 this morning, I thought, okay, this is a thing. What is the thing? Well, let me go back to Joshua chapter uh, 17, first of all, because you get kind of a, a, an idea of the consistent nature of the tribe of Ephraim. As the tribes were settling in Canaan, the Bible tells us in verse 14, and the children of Joseph, which we know included Ephraim, it says so in chapter 16 of Joshua, verse 4, um, the Bible says, they spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? So they literally were not content with their lot in life. Um, they didn't like what God had apportioned to them. Verse 15, Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. So they complained to Joseph. What they had was not enough. And Joseph said, If what you have is not enough, then be industrious. Chop down some trees. And the mountain here is prophetically called Mount Ephraim. Of course, Canaan didn't call it that, but Joshua called it that, and that's what it was called thereafter, the Mount Ephraim. So they were not content. They, they just were not happy with what they had. And a lot of times we can be like that. People are like that. Nothing is ever enough. They want more. They want something different. They want someone else's lot in life. Uh, in Judges 8, I just read this the other day, you find Ephraim again. Uh, when Gideon had defeated the enemies of God, the Midianites. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, The men of Ephraim said unto him, Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. They, their pride was hurt. They seemed to be a proud people. They seemed to be a people who were not thankful. And they seemed to be a people about which everything uh, devolved into something personal. All of us know people like this. You talk to them and you say that um, you have a health problem and they have a greater health problem. You say that you have some good thing and they have more of that good thing. You say that you've been to Paris, Tennessee. They say that they've been to Paris, France. Everything comes back to them no matter what the situation, what the topic of conversation. Everything seems to be personal and it all seems to come back to them. Ephraim seems to have been much like that. When God gave Gideon uh, victory over the Midianites, they complained. They said, why didn't you call us? Now, I don't know that they wanted to fight. I just know that they wanted the uh, esteem from others that came from fighting. Well, Gideon was, uh, he was somewhat of a diplomat. And he said, hey, who am I? You're a great tribe and good for you. And the Bible says, then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. So he was a diplomat. Uh, they had hurt pride. In Judges chapter 12, this is what I've read this morning. You find the exact same thing. There was a man named Jephthah. He was the son of a harlot. He was a man from uh, a poor 
beginning, but he was a man that did great things. God used him, imperfect though he may have been, and imperfect as all the judges in Israel were. And the Bible says in chapter 12, again, after victory, this was kind of, again, they're jumping on the bandwagon. The men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thy house upon thee with fire. Well, you know what? They kept complaining, and they kept having hurt pride until they picked on a guy who just was going to have none of it. Joshua encouraged them to put their energies elsewhere instead of complaining. Gideon was totally diplomatic and, and uh, basically was must have read how to win friends and influence people. Jephthah was going to have none of it. He had come from a poor background himself. He had done amazing things because God used him, and he just was going to have none of it. And what ended up happening is Jephthah and his forces whacked another tribe in Israel, Ephraim. And 42,000 people died that day. They insulted Jephthah probably where it hurt most. They implied that the Gileadites were just the, you know, the refuse of their common stock in Joseph. And so, you know, uh, Jephthah just was going to have none of it. And there was a great, great battle and people died that didn't need to. Psalm 78 is one of a number of passages that gives us God's commentary on the uh, occurrences of the, uh, of the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan. In Psalm 78, verse 9, God mentions the Ephraimites. In verse 8, he says that Israel is to not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And then it says the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Now, someone listening probably knows, I, I do not know for certainty what battle this is. I do wonder if it might be one of the battles where they came after the fact and their pride was hurt and they felt insulted by first Gideon and then Jephthah. Could they have turned back and then later complained that they weren't uh, invited to the battle? I, I don't know. What I do know is this, what God did. In Psalm 78, verse 67, the Bible says, Moreover, God refused the tabernacle of Joseph. He chose not the tribe of Ephraim. Why? Who did he choose? But chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. So Mount Zion, not Mount Ephraim. And he built, that is God, his sanctuary like high, high palaces, uh, like the earth which he had, hath established forever. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. So no to Ephraim and yes to Judah, the tribe of David. Who was David? He was a servant. He was a kid. He wasn't the greatest in his dad's family. He didn't go to kill giants. He went to take food to his brothers in, in obedience to his father. When uh, at the, the battle with the Philistines, he said, is there not a cause? He wasn't talking about some great cause in defeating giants. He was talking about there's a reason for me to be here. I'm not here because I'm naughty. I'm here because dad told me to take food to my brothers who are fighting the battle. From following the ewes, great with young, God brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Here's a man, David, who was faithful in little and therefore was faithful in much, who obeyed his dad and therefore obeyed God, who took care of sheep and therefore took care of of God's people, who defended the sheep from a lion and a bear and therefore who defended Israel from this giant, this Philistine. 
So Ephraim seems never to have been happy. Proud? Yes. Unthankful? Yes. Taking everything personally? Yes. So there's a lot to me, anyway, that still remains a mystery, but this is definitely a thing in the Bible. Now, what's the takeaway? Well, there may be a number. One obvious is this. We become tribal when we forget that we are part of something bigger. Ephraim was not an end to itself. It was one of 12 tribes that God had guided, guarded, provided for, and protected. And yet everything was personal to them. It was all about them. It was about having more land, more credit, more opportunities. They were never satisfied. And it's because they didn't think of themselves as part of of something bigger. In verse 4, when this battle of Jephthah, uh, who was insulted by the tribe of Ephraim, when, when they had this battle... Uh, it's it's very instructive. Ephraim retreated back across the Jordan River. Now, two and a half tribes were on one side of the river and the rest went into the land that God had promised them. Now, we can argue about whether it was right for them to stay on the east side of Jordan or not. That's not my point. At the very least, it was more difficult to have dispersed tribes on two sides of a very pronounced geographical feature, Jordan. It was harder for them to be unified than it would have been when they were going through the wilderness and they all were in close proximity to the tabernacle and they all saw Moses on a fairly regular basis. Now they were dispersed. And when, when the Ephraimites retreated from Jephthah, they had to go across the Jordan river. They were on another side of a geographical divide. In fact, this is where the term shibboleth comes from. Maybe you've heard the term shibboleth, which is basically uh, a code to decide who is an insider and who is an outsider. Sometimes we call this a dog whistle, right? So uh, the word shibboleth means stream. It may be in reference to the Jordan itself. So when they were going after these retreating Ephraimites who were self-absorbed and proud and unthankful and took everything personally, the Bible says that um, one way they could determine who was from Ephraim and who was not was to have basically a password, a, a code word, shibboleth, and they were unable because of their distance and their geographical divide, to pronounce pronounce that word. So they had become tribal. Now look, I, I can tell you that so many times in my life, I can kind of determine whether I'm a success or a failure purely by what my day holds, by what I have done and how I'm appreciated. Sometimes, for instance, at camp, I can think to myself, well, you know, everything's fine because... Look at my area. Or I can think, hey, everything's bad. No one considers my area. For instance, I have, I have swept many times in many places uh, at the Bill Rice Ranch, uh, of which I'm a part now. And so if a guy is tasked with sweeping a floor, it's very easy for him to esteem success purely based upon whether that floor is clean or not. Someone says, hey, I'm a success. The week was a success at camp. Why? Because I had a clean floor. And then the next day they say, oh, man, those campers. Those campers make a mess of everything. I was a great success until we let people in. Well, guess what? Where there are no oxen, the proverb tells us, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the toil of the ox. So what are we saying? We're saying that, you know what? You're part of something, and that is important. But you're part of something that supersedes you, and that is to be acknowledged as well. Ephraim was never happy because all they ever thought about was their part and never saw how they fit into a larger whole. When you go to church next time, realize that you have a part and that that is important, but it's not the only part. When you're a part of something that God is doing, realize that your part is important. And whether you are recognized and noticed, whether you have a good day or a bad day, 
you are part of something that's much larger. And that is important to remember because we become tribal. We become separated. We become divided when we forget that we are part of something bigger.